Hi, Pastor Rob here from City East Church and NTL Ministries. This sermon series is called Uncovering Religion. We live in a day where the world is saturated with contradictory faiths and beliefs. Can they all be right? Are they all wrong? As Christians, it is imperative that we understand something of what these religions teach and believe so that we can accurately discern right from wrong. Okay, we're going to do a sermon on uh, Christadelphians today. Okay, Ephesians 5.11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And we're told in Scripture, expose the fruitless deeds of darkness and how Satan is getting in, weeding his way in to religions and, and cults and, and into our world and basically corrupting the world. And if we don't understand what he's doing, then we're um, at a loss, really, aren't we? Because sometimes we're going we're gonna to confront Christadelphians in our life. Uh, I tell you now, you could very easily be sucked into the Christadelphian organization if you went to that church for a year. They would indoctrinate you. Let's just pray. Lord, I just pray that you help me to deliver this sermon. I pray that you give me the words and the wisdom to, uh, to deliver it and help me to deliver it fairly and not with any type of bitter spirit or, or whatever, Lord, but help me to deliver it in a way that is just and right and holy and true. And I pray this and I ask your Holy Spirit to be with me now and help me to, uh, to preach and pray your Holy Spirit will be with all of us here and help us to discern the truth. In the name of Jesus, amen. So why should I preach every two weeks about a different religion, philosophy, or cult? Why would we sacrifice a sermon every two weeks to expose these cults and religions? The answer is quite simple. For a start, when we expose the thoughts, beliefs, and philosophies of other religions and cults, and we pitching them against Scripture two things take place. One is we get to know what we believe so much better. Who's become more clear on what we believe and discerning of what others believe since we've been doing this? It's one of the things you can sort of start to see things that you otherwise wouldn't have if you hadn't been comparing, you know, one against the other. What, what's a normal way of learning in schools? If you did a, an exam with a multiple choice, You'd have one correct answer and usually three false answers. And you'd have to be able to discern the one correct one from the three false ones, wouldn't you? That's a normal way of teaching and learning. And that's sort of what we're doing here. So what, when we get to know what we believe so much better, we see it so much clearer when it is compared against what these religions believe. Jesus Christ and the glorious salvation he has given us shines at its most brightest when it's set against the backdrop of world religion. And the second is uh, we are called to disciple the nations. And if we don't understand what the nations are into, then we'll find it hard to reason with them and declare the truth about Jesus with wisdom. Do you remember I brought up how Paul went into a city, I think it was Ephesus, and he worked around and had a look at all the statues and came in and he said, I'd been observing what you guys are into. Mm. And then he what came at them. I think it was Athens, yeah, not Ephesus, Athens. It was oh, Athens, yeah. yeah. No name. The altar to the God unknown. Yeah, the unknown God. Because he had observed and spent the day looking into what they believe, he could preach to them mm. so much more clearly and so much more effectively. True. So far we have uncovered Islam, 
Hinduism, Buddhism, Baha'i, Sikhism, the book The Secret, Seventh-day Adventism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and also Freemasonry. Joe Schimmel said, there is only two religions on this earth. There is Christianity, which is God's accomplishment, and everything else, which is human achievement. All religions on earth, except true Christianity, preach a works salvation. A salvation where you work your way into heaven or a place of oneness with the universe. From this standpoint, the followers of these religions are cults are never certain of their place in the afterlife. How many people who have to work for salvation would feel confident at death? Because I'm sure at death is when you start to see all of your wrongs that you've committed through life. And if you know that the if you don't have the blood of Jesus atoning for you and you can just say, Yes, Lord, forgive me for everything I'm seeing in my mind, and you know then he's washed it clean and you're clean and before him, not by anything we've done, how uncomfortable would you be? That would be a tormenting moment in life, wouldn't it? That's why Jesus, there is no greater hope in the universe than what Jesus did for us on the cross. It's a wonderful hope. It's wonderful. So history tells us that Muhammad, before he died, was uncertain of his salvation. If our salvation depends on good deeds, and that's what the Quran teaches, and then the Bible says that our good deeds are as filthy rags before a holy God, then if the Quran is true, we're all doomed. Because if that part of the Bible is true, that our good deeds are as filthy rags, and if the Quran is true that we can only get in heaven by works, Every single person on earth is doomed. But only one person in heaven is worthy of heaven. And guess who he is? Jesus. And he created all that is. He created the heavens. Many Christians are extremely ignorant of, and of the views of this world. 57% of evangelical Christians in America don't believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Isn't that shocking? Evangelical Christians are like passionate Bible-based Christians, they're sitting in churches, hearing messages every Sunday, and they still don't fully believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Many very powerful and influential Christians have been deceived by these religions. Many prominent Christian leaders have been deceived by Islam and New Age spiritualism. Robert Schuller is New Age. So is Rick Warren is going New Age. And many, and also, like how much philosophy and psychology and and different belief systems are, have been drawn into church. Like you'll see it in in a lot of churches today. They they mix the worldly way of thinking in, as if the Bible's not good enough on its own, as if the Bible's not relevant enough. The problem lies with Christians not having a firm grip on what the Bible teaches. The theology of Christianity is clear: salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, does that say salvation is found in self and what you do? Does that say that? Salvation is found in self and what you do? Now, how could a Christian group go and change that to mean that they have to do good things to get heaven? It's pretty clear, isn't it? Paul, actually, his ministry was to make that mystery of the gospel clear. And that's what he spent his time writing the epistles for. And even though the epistles sit in the New Testament, a lot of Christian groups don't pick it up and read it and get the message clear in their mind. 
And that's where Martin Luther came along in the Great Reformation. He picked it up because he lived under the condemnation of a works gospel. And it wasn't until he read the scriptures and, and, and meditated upon them and asked God to reveal the truth that he came to the conclusion we are saved by grace, not by paying penance. There is no other name under heaven, despite what the rest of the world teaches. Buddha cannot save. Muhammad cannot save. The Bab cannot save. And Orpahayula, Guru Nanak cannot save, nor can William Miller or Ellen White or Charles Taze Russell or Joseph Smith. No. Is, does it say in the Bible that there's going to be God the Father judging and God the Son judging and Joseph Smith judging? Does that say that in the Bible? It does in his Bible. It does in the Book of Mormon. Joseph Smith will be on the judgment seat along with Jesus and God. Funny enough, he wrote that. Mm, funny enough, isn't it? The Bible tells us that only Jesus saves, and I believe we can all hold confidently to the Bible as the true and authentic, infallible. Tried to put authentic and infallible together. Authentic, <laughs> authentic, infallible Word of God. What about Oprah? Yeah, well, I've searched the Bible high and low for for Oprah. You know her name's not actually Oprah; it's Orpa. 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 Hey. They have to change it for the Greeks. Oprah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. A certain Christian attacked me. Did you know that? Yes. Uh, Talk about. I will elaborate. <laughs> a certain Christian attacked me in relation to focusing one sermon out of every two on the Uncovering Religion series. Oh. An analogy to do with counterfeit money, as you can see, counterfeit yeah. money. How to discern counterfeit money? All right. She spoke of a man whose job it was to discern between counterfeit dollar bills and real dollar bills. She said that he could only tell the fake bills because he knew the real, the real bills so well. So she used that analogy as if to say to me, by just focusing on, the Bible, on preaching the Bible alone, which is what I do anyway, and don't worry about the counterfeit religions, you don't have to worry about all that stuff because if you just know the Bible, you'll be able to tell everything else is wrong, Right? And you don't need to preach on it to expose them. The only problem with that is her analogy actually works for me. Her analogy played right into my hands. And uh, so I, I didn't actually say this at the time because it only occurred to me afterwards. But what is the job of this man? He is to expose the counterfeit. counterfeit from the real, isn't he? That's his job. How many people can do his job? Very few people can do his job because very few have the gift at the level because his, the only way he could tell what the false was was because he, he looks so often at the real. So what is the job of a minister? I have the luxury of being able to spend a lot more time in the Word of God than you guys do because God's aligned my time in my day to give me that luxury of being able to read the Bible a lot more. So in a sense... I get to be able to discern much clearer than perhaps you guys could. And he was good because he spent a lot of time looking at the real bills. And because he knows the true currency so well, he gets paid to expose the fake and to reveal others what to look for. 
right? Because he will go into a bank and he'll teach, okay, guys, this is what you've got to look for when this bill comes in. This is what you're going to see, the differences. Like you go here, they tell you all the different differences between them, which is like um, you'll notice on the serial numbers and the portraits and, and so on, there's, there's different things that are going to be different in a counterfeit bill. Therefore, you could imagine that even though he spends a lot of time looking at the real bills, he would also look at a lot of fake bills, wouldn't he? to be able to discern correctly. So her analogy does not rebuke me, but rather supports what I'm doing. I spend most of my time in the Word of God, so when I look at the false religions, I can easily detect their counterfeit. And then my job then is to reveal what to look at, what to see. So this is the reason for this series. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. it also reinforces what you're And it helps us to discern really clearly what the Gospel preaches. Because if you if you can see the slight variations of what these other how these other religions get it wrong and how ours get it right, how the Bible I'm saying we're Bible based Christianity that's pretty much what we are that's our denomination Bible based Christianity, and a lot of them get it slightly wrong, and you could easily be sucked away if you didn't understand how they got it slightly wrong. You know it's just like a a little smudge on a counterfeit bill that you wouldn't have noticed unless someone pointed it out. And then once they point it out, as soon as you see that smudge, yep, fake. We can't accept that money. That's it. Mm. We should call the church BBC. I'm just thinking that. Bible based. Christianity. The BBC. Join the BBCs. Write that down. Oh, it's on here. <laughs> okay. Oh, look. Oh, Bill. Belly boy. That's a fake. <laughs> he knows. He knows what to look at. Joe, Joe Schimmel said, when they show you a diamond in a jewellery store, they will put it before a black background so that you can see it in all its beauty. When you see Christ against the black background of world religions and belief systems, then hopefully you can appreciate his glory more. Doesn't it? A diamond just sitting there without the black won't look as beautiful. But you put the black there, it's like, whoa, now I see it. But even more stunning is when you put the light on it. The light on it. Uh huh. That's about what background. Yes, the light, mate. That's a. I didn't even add that. Yeah. So put with a black background and then shine the light of Christ upon it. Black. Well, the the light then is the word black of God. The light is the word of God, isn't it? Black <laughs> We've just taken Joe Schimmel's analogy a step further. Okay, so the Christadelphians. Here he is. Christian Dolphins were formed in 1848 by their founder, Dr. John Thomas. They rose up after the formation of the Mormons, but prior to the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists. So remember I was saying about all the cults that rose up during the 19th century? This is another one of them. Yeah, it's like traditional Christianity wasn't good enough for them. They had to go and change everything. So Thomas, who was originally an agnostic, came to a kind of faith when he became a Campbellite, who were a group of extreme Baptists who followed the teachings of Alexander Campbell. There he is. Campbell was one of the leaders of the Second Great Awakening, and he sought to recover the beliefs and practices of the early church, and thus they were referred to as the Restoration Movement. Now, I haven't researched much into Campbell, so don't ask me much about him. In 1847... John Thomas, that's the Christadelphian, left the Campbellites and came to the conclusion that we are saved by hope, which is in Romans 8.24. This hope is in the second coming of Jesus in power and great glory. 
and um, was to set up the heavenly kingdom on earth beginning at Jerusalem. So this was their hope. So they wrote two books. John Thomas wrote one book called Elpis Israel. That was where he detailed the doctrines of the Christadelphians. And his successor, Robert Roberts, wrote the book Christendom Astray from the Bible. Christadelphians believe that God is one but not three as revealed in Scripture. I'm talking to two Christadelphians yesterday. I was amazed at the way they twist Scripture to suit their own misconception. I was blown away by these guys and what they were saying. And even though the Bible clearly reveals that Jesus is God by such statements as I and the Father are one, and if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, they twist it around. They deny the deity of Christ, that he was the, a unique man, but definitely not God. That's what they say. And before I go any further and talk about what these interesting conversations were like, I'm just going to play you this video. If God isn't a trinity, can we be saved? Well, if God were not a trinity, we could not be saved. The reason is very simple. Our sins are against an infinite and holy God, and we are therefore worthy of an infinite punishment. Sins are related to the one offended. If I slap a friend, he might get upset. If I slap the President of the United States, the Secret Service would be all over me and I'd be put in jail. The exact same offense gets two totally different results because of who the action is against. Likewise, when we sin, we sin against the Holy King of the entire universe. And the penalty is eternal damnation. Now, there is no way that mere humans can satisfy the infinite judgment of a holy God because we are finite and we're sinners. We are not capable of doing enough good or being good enough to make things right. The only one left who is capable of performing a perfect act that's good and atone and make things right is God himself. You see... God the Son came down in the form of Jesus and bore the wrath of God the Father. But this could not be possible if God were not a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not one person in three forms, but three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The second person of the trinity became man. That's John 1, 1, verse 14, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And he was subject to the law of God, Galatians 4, 4. He bore our sins in his body on the cross, 1 Peter 2, 24, and took our punishment, Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Without God being a trinity, this could not be possible. And there could be no full and complete incarnation which would make the sacrifice of Jesus of infinite value, which in turn would satisfy the judgment of the infinite God. You see, look at it this way. If God's a trinity, one of the persons becomes man, the other two persons are left to run the universe. But if God is not a trinity, just one person, then the whole person becomes man. Well, then who's left to run the universe? How's it going to work if he's under the law? It just can't work that way. So God is a trinity, and part of him, that second person of the trinity, took on human nature, died for our sins, put our sins in his body, and rose from the dead. And without God being a trinity, we could not be saved. Mm. Isn't that good? I like how he said, if you slap your friend, you'd get offended, but you slap a president, and the secret service will be all over you and arrested and thrown in prison. So the, the offense is determined by who you're offending. And when you, when you slap a holy God in the face, how much more punishment do you deserve, even greater than what 
you would if you slapped the president in the face. That's that's a good point. Now his analogy there of the Trinity with uh, Jesus, if he was all just all God and, and there was no other God, then there'd be Jesus under the law. Then who would run the universe? What the Christadelphians say is, well, that is one of the reasons why Jesus isn't God. Right? Because they believe in one God, therefore Jesus can't be God. Therefore, he couldn't have been under the law. But it doesn't wash. That's why Trinity is the only way to explain it. And yeah, okay, the, Trinity, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible. But neither a lot of other words that even the Christadelphians use are not found in the Bible. But they use it to describe something that's very descriptively explained in the Bible. They also discredit the discount the Trinity because uh, scriptures where we clearly see the Trinity, they say it's a, it's a bad translation from the Old Greek. You know, and, and so they translate it to suit what they believe. Mm-hmm. In Key to Understanding the Bible, page 14, this is a Christadelphian book, Jesus Christ is not God the Son, but is the Son of God. Begotten of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. He was a man of our race, identical in nature with all mankind. So Jesus Christ is not God the Son. He is the Son of God. And I said, okay, well, if Jesus is not God the Son, then is Jesus human? Is he all human, just totally human? And they go, no. This is what this guy said last night. I said, okay, well, he's, he's not human then, and he's not God, so what is he? Oh, he's now spirit. Oh, he's now spirit, but isn't God spirit? You're basically saying that Jesus is, you're nearly there. You're swinging back and forth right next to the truth that Jesus is God, but you just can't step over and admit it. Because all scripture directs you towards that. So on listening to their viewpoints, I was astounded at their total denial of Jesus as God. What other um, religions Deny Jesus as God. Well, all the ones at that time. Mormons? History. Jehovah's Witnesses? Yeah. yeah. Baha'i? Islam? Atheists? All of them. We know that Islam believed this statement, as does the Baha'is, as does the JWs, and in the sense that Jesus was just a man, atheists agree with the Christadelphians. So they got some common ground there. By believing this way, you have just removed the power of the gospel. And everything that Jesus stood for. The revelation that Jesus came to earth to reveal to us was that I am the Son of God. That was the revelation. He's the Son of God, they say, because that's always in the Bible. He says, but he's not God's Son. (laughs) What? (laughs) Is that ridiculous? Get another translation, we'll translate it God's Son. You You say the same thing. I could say Johnny is the son of Rob or he's my son. And my point to them was, when I give, uh, well, I didn't give birth, but when Vina and I gave birth to Johnny, Johnny is as human as I am, isn't he? Now, if it says that God gave birth through Mary by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to a son, isn't he as God as God is? Isn't his substance of the same type, even though he's encased in the physical body for a short period of time? He's still God. So Jesus came to reveal that he was the Son of God and die for the sins of men. You know why? One of their leaders concluded to me that Jesus is not God the Son. He said that it is logically impossible for God to become a man. 
That was the final conclusion of Christadelphian's viewpoint. It's logically impossible. It's logically impossible for wine to be uh, water to be turned to wine. It's logically impossible for a man to speak and the storms calm. It's logically impossible for Jesus to walk on water. Let alone raise the dead. Let alone raise the dead and heal the sick and cast out the demon possessed and leave them in their right mind. Logically impossible. So. They probably believe that stuff, but that's God's power through a man who's not really a man because he's beyond man, but he's not God either. So he's somewhere in between. So he's obviously a new creation, obviously. Just does not wash. And you talk to these guys and it's I was blown away by how brainwashed they are. They really believe this stuff. They are indoctrinated deep into it. And not only that, they're indoctrinated into how to argue against our viewpoint. So when you bring up your points, they've already know, they already know them and they know the answer, the scripture to go to, just like the Jehovah Witnesses. So you, you, it's, you waste your time unless you've got a completely new way of approaching it. Luke 22.70 says, They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You, you are right in saying I am. Then they said, why do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. And the whole assembly rose and led, led him off to Pilate. So what was the verdict? The Pharisees heard that Jesus was the son of, um, had claimed to be the son of God. And because of that, he deserves death. Let's go to Matthew. If everyone could quickly get there. If you can't, I'm just going to go there. Matthew 26. But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Because Christ is Son of God, God in, in, in man. And then Jesus says, yes, it is as you say. But I say to all of you, in the future you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. We can imagine the Pharisees. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look now, you have heard the blasphemy. And get this, 26 26 verse 66 says, What do you think? He is worthy of death. He is worthy of death. Then they spat on him and they struck him with their fists and others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you? At one stage in his ministry, Jesus was about to be stoned. John 10, 32, but Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And they said, we are not stoning you for any of these but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. He's God. He's God. He said it. Look at that bunch. Christadelphians Christadelphians have joined the Pharisees in their rebellion against the deity of Christ. And all I can say is that they are on dangerous, dangerous ground. Salvation by the blood of Christ is dependent upon the revelation of Jesus being acknowledged as the Son of God. Salvation in Christ is dependent upon 
him being acknowledged for who he is. Mark 16, 16 says, Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And what do, we got to, what do we have to believe? The gospel. And we've got to believe what the gospel declares. See, they read the scriptures, and the scriptures clearly declare him as God. All the way through the scriptures, it declares him, but they read into it and they twist it to sound just the way they want it to sound, according to the doctrines of John, John Thomas. And if you try to tell them, can't you take it at face value? As the old Greek says, and as, as our English translations say, it tells us straight he's God. But they can't. Jesus, who died for our sins on a cross, who was raised to life and ascended to heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father, this same Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God. Christian Delphian doctrine, where they deny the Lordship and deity of Christ, is the doctrine of demons. Colossians 2.19 I'll just, before I read that, McGregor Ministries is a really good website to go. It's an apologetic website. Uh, and, and it faces every various religion out there. Or not everyone, but a lot of them. They said this, Jesus Christ did function on this earth as a man to perfectly redeem us, but this did not detract from his eternal deity. And is in, it didn't detract from him being God just because he is the man. Colossians 2.9 says of Christ, For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of the deity of God dwells in Jesus in bodily form. And when it says all, this is what McGregor says, all is all, full is full. Jesus Christ, even in the flesh, never ceased to be truly and fully God. But he submitted himself to God, the Father. And rightly so, because God the Father is the head of the Trinity. They believe, Christian almost believe that is evidence that he's not God. Because they've got this thing that Jesus and God and that are one, but we're trying to explain, no, they're three, yet they one in function, purpose, and togetherness, and, you know, unity, spirit. They think the same thoughts together at the same time. Well, you need at least three to create the universe and the planets and stuff. Yeah. It's pretty hard to do on your own. Well, that's right. I always say that Jesus, at the birth of Christ in eternity past, whenever that was, God existed, if there was ever a time God existed alone, which eternity tells us he didn't, but he needed someone to reflect himself into so he could just see himself and just be able to relate. Now I can communicate. So that's why you need two. Because if there's one, how do you know you exist? So you need at least two, but we also have the spirit, which is... God, the person moving by spirit throughout the universe. So just to exist, he needed to be three. Before he created anything, he knew he was there because there was three of them. McGregor Ministries also wrote, according to the booklet, Christadelphians by L. Hutchins, a Christadelphian gained salvation by one, accepting the gospel preached by Jesus Christ and his apostles as interpreted by the Christadelphians. They change. They interpret it, and you've got to accept it according to their interpretation of it. See, most people, if they just read the Bible without their interpretation, would come to the conclusion that Jesus is God. If you just read the Bible straight, like I did, I came to the conclusion that Jesus is God. I came to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one, and I also came to the conclusion of the Trinity before anyone told me about the Trinity. They're trying to tell me, oh, you know, this all happened in the second century, and 
and uh, there was wars and stuff that went on in relation to it, all this rubbish that they were talking about historically when the Trinity was first mentioned. No, I came to the conclusion without any of that stuff, just by reading the Bible. Uh, they also believe if you're not baptised by total immersion, you're not saved, which means that deathbed confessions don't count. And also obeying the commandments of Christ. There you go. It's a work salvation. You have to obey the commandments to receive salvation. And uh, not much mention of the cross. The Bible, on the other hand, promises us salvation by grace alone. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works that no one should boast. We as Christians should have good works, but they are the result of our salvation, not a condition for our salvation. Works are the result of salvation, good works. They're not the condition by which you are saved. Is this all making sense? Christadelphians' view of Satan. In the key to understanding the Bible, on page 15, we find devil. Its general meaning is sin or lawlessness. The devil is sin. The devil is lawlessness. Whether manifested individually or politically, it is also applied to the unlawful lusts and tendencies of human nature, which invariably lead to sin. It is not a supernatural being. Sin is, uh, the devil is not a supernatural being. Satan is a Hebrew word signifying adversary, enemy, or accuser. Okay. Show me an adversary that's not there. The adversary is a person. If you have an adversary in life, he's a person, isn't he? If you have an enemy... He's a person. If you have an accuser, does sin accuse you? No. A person accuses you. Doesn't. Right? So they've actually just gone, just by using those three words, which is the true meaning of Satan, they've proved that he's a person in the meaning. Christadelphians therefore reduce the devil to our own sinful lusts and make every adversary in the Bible a Satan. Both views are in error, as we shall see in Zechariah 3, 1-2. We see Satan standing before the angel of the Lord, and God himself speaks to Satan, rebuking him. Was God rebuking his own lustful thoughts? Was God rebuking his own lustful thoughts? No, he was rebuking a person. Re yep. Sorry, I was going to say also in Job, you know. When yes, that's Satan right, the accuser. Comes up and wants to. No, no. God was rebuking or talking to his sin. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, there's so many accounts of Satan being a person. And who is it that the Satan that is thrown into the pit with the false prophet and the beast? All right, well, if, if Satan doesn't exist, well, what about the false prophet and the beast? Are they too, you know, lawlessness? They're certainly real too. There's a, tree, uh, there's a trinity of, of Satan. Jesus, who was perfect, certainly did not have a sinful nature talking to him in the desert for 40 days when he fasted for 40 days. Was that mm. Jesus rebuking his own sinful lusts? No. These are, uh, are titles for a real person, not abstract feelings. Christadelphians need to know that there is a real person in the world called Satan the devil and he delights in having people deny his existence for then they never gain mastery over him. And I'll also say they deny hell. That's annihilation. It's not eternal torment, as the Bible says. And they read into every single word and give you a new meaning for it. Look, I'll tell you the truth. I would love it to be um, annihilation. 
that if you don't believe, that's it. End of story. But the Bible doesn't say that, so I can't believe what the Bible doesn't say. See, the Seventh-day Adventists believe it's annihilation. If it's just annihilation, why did Jesus die? The most horrific death to save us from just being annihilated, which is what the atheists hope for? It doesn't make sense. And uh, they also believe that heaven is not heaven. It's when we're resurrected to live on a heavenly earth, like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that as well. Final word, I would advise Christadelphians who really want to know the truth about Christ, do a word search in your New Testament under the Son of God, just Son of God. Put away all your Christian, Christadelphian literature for a moment and ask God through Jesus Christ to reveal the truth to you in his word by his Holy Spirit, not by a force, because that's what they believe the Holy Spirit is, just a force, not a person. And this is the funny thing. He's, I said, so you're telling me the Holy Spirit's not a person? And he goes, that's right. He's a force, an energy. And I've done an entire seminar, which I could preach for eight hours, literally preach for eight hours, a seminar which can prove scripture after scripture after scripture that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. And they're trying to tell me that he's not a person. So I was amazed. They're probably interpreting their own meaning. Oh, of course. They, any, the anywhere way. where it calls the Holy Spirit a hymn, they remove that. He's not a him, because a force isn't a him. A force is an it. The Holy Spirit has never been referred to as an it in the Bible anywhere. It's He's always a he. And you know what? When you claim that the Holy Spirit is not a him, a person, you're nearly verging on a blasphemy that cannot be forgiven. Because the Pharisees were saying that Jesus was filled with demons. You know, and that the Spirit in him was demons. And that's when he said, a house divided against itself will not stand. But And then he says, you know, all blasphemies against me and against my father will be forgiven, but blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. It's a, an eternal sin. And he said that to say, stop saying that the Spirit is in, who is in me is a demon because he's the Holy Spirit. That's pretty, pretty terrible. And I just say to these Christian Dolphins in, that in a short time, if you do these things and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to you, God will reveal to you a revelation about the deity of Christ and that you have been saved by grace and not works, having the righteousness of Christ imputed to you freely by accepting Jesus as Lord God and Saviour. You have to accept Jesus as Lord God and Saviour to be saved. Next week, we're in the Truth, Judgment and Eternity series. We're going to continue verse by verse through the book of Colossians. Real pity about last week's sermon. Uh, I lost the recording. Oh, not again. Mm. And there was some pretty deep Holy Spirit-inspired stuff in there because it was an incredible oh, it's passage. Out it's out there. The angels are enjoying it now. <laughs> and the demons are getting infuriated by it. We're just going to do our communion. Is Jesus the Son of God? Yes. Is Jesus God's Son? Yes. If Jesus is God's Son, what does that make Jesus? <laughs> son of God? <laughs> but does that make him God? Or is he, a, is he just a person like us? No. So what is he? He's God. He's not 
just a man, but he came to earth, didn't he? As a, and became a man, but he really is God. The Bible tells us that he always was. Before anything was created, Jesus always existed. Did Jesus die on the cross for our sins? Yes. Come on, everyone. Yes. yes. Are we safe, saved by faith in him and his sacrifice on the cross or by what we do? Which one? Are we saved the by first one. the first one? Good answer. Well, Bill. Put up your hand if you think you get into heaven by being a good person. So I'm just yeah. because you a good person is someone that believes. Want to do good? You have to also believe. The answer is just absolute no. The Bible says that no one is good, not even one. So even if you think you've done good things in life, you don't get into heaven because you've been good. You get into heaven because of what Jesus did on the cross when He died for our sins. Now, once you believe in Jesus and you say, thank you for dying for my sins, then what should you do? You then do good things. So the good things is not what gets you in the heaven, it's what Jesus did that gets you in the heaven. Does that make sense? That's all in the Bible. Yeah. So a Christian, a true Christian, will do good things, will be good, but it's not those good things that get you in the heaven. It's what Jesus did that gets you in the heaven.